0: uh the title of my message is called wisdom for the storm and that is a not so clever reference to hurricane florence that has been bearing down on us for four or five days uh, i'm very thankful that we didn't get a, a lot of effects from it but um i know a lot of north carolina and south carolina has and we're praying for them and uh praying that thing just dissipates and gets on out of here so we can get on with our lives amen um but you know i was thinking as i was preparing this this week of uh the, the the fact that we, it seems to me like we're living in very tumultuous times. And how many of you know you, you need wisdom to get through tumultuous and ter- tense and stressful times in life? Uh, the older I get, the more I realize how much I need wisdom. You know, I, I know, you know, the joke is that when you're a teenager, you know, you know everything. Uh, I saw a bumper sticker one time that said, quick teenagers, move out, get a job, support yourself while you still know everything. <laughs> And uh, I have three teenagers, so man, that resonates with me. I'm singing hallelujah to that. Uh, But then, you know, the older you get, the more you realize, well, I really don't know anything. And uh, I think that's God's design for us, that as we get older and we realize, we live more life, we realize, wow, I really can't do this on my own. I really need God to help me. And I feel sorry for people that don't have a relationship with Jesus because that that relationship we have with him is what empowers us to live the life that he's called us to live and to help us get through these tumultuous times. I, I just, I feel like our society today... Um, you know, I'm, I'm 45, and so I know some of you have been around longer than me, some of you have been around less time than me, but I can say in my life, I don't think I've ever felt uh, as much turmoil and vitriol and anger in our society as, uh, as, as I do today. I know we had the times in the 60s and back in the 40s, and I wasn't around during those times because I'm so young. Um, but uh, in my lifetime, this feels like a very, very tense time. I mean, you see it in, in politics. Uh, politics is just, wow, it's, I mean, I love staying informed and watching the news, but man, I've had to turn it off lately. It's just getting to be where truth is irrelevant. It's all a matter of perspective. And if you're lean this way, then you hate everybody on this side and vice versa and and it's just it's getting really, really tough and it adds tension and stress to our lives, you know, because that's that's our that's our leadership in our country and, and uh, you know, I even think with sports, you know, sports used to be an escape where you could just go watch sports and not think about anything else and but now that line's even getting blurred between sports and politics and there's just a lot of a lot of anger and it, people are offended all the time and, and it just it just seems to continually escalate, you know, and, and now there's a new iPhone coming out and you have to decide if you're gonna mortgage your house again to get that phone and <laughs> there's there's all kinds of stuff that's hitting us in the face all the time Um, because you know if you have an iPhone 6 now it's a relic you don't you might as well just throw it away it's worthless Um, at least that's what my kids would want you to believe so uh, but but there's just a lot of that going on and and, oh man we just need wisdom so badly and I want to encourage you today that I believe God gives us the tools to to be able to have the wisdom that we need to get through in this life you know in fact in in James 1 uh, James talks about he says that if any of you lacks wisdom that you should ask God for it, and He gives it liberally without finding fault, and it shall be given to you. God gives us wisdom, which is beautiful as a believer, that we have that wisdom. But there's also another level of that where where it's it's incumbent upon us to go after wisdom too. You know, if, if it was just about God imparting wisdom into us, then frankly we wouldn't really need this book, right? We could just pray and ask God to do it, and it, you know, it just this thing would just supernaturally be inside of our head. But it's not. It's 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 important that we take the time to get in the word and we seek out wisdom for our own life. In fact, let me, let me read my, my first two verses for today. Uh, the very first one is out of Ecclesiastes 7:12, and this is the new living translation. It's a paraphrase, but I love how this verse is said here. It says wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. What a great verse wisdom and mo- money can get you about anything you need. That's purchasable, but only wisdom is the one that's going to save your life between the two. We should choose wisdom every time. Amen. In fact, it goes into Proverbs. And if you look at the writer of Proverbs, what he said in chapter four, verses seven to nine, it says, wisdom is supreme. Therefore get wisdom. Everyone say get wisdom. Yes. Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. Esteem her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. So this says to me, which by the way, I think it's very interesting that uh, uh, wisdom here, the pronoun chosen to you for to talk about wisdom that Solomon used was actually feminine. It was females. And all the women in the house said, amen. Amen. amen, man, you can learn something from that. Every smart man that's ever done anything good in the world has listened to his wife. I promise you. Um, but, but it's, it, the, Solomon is saying here, like we have to get wisdom. If it costs us all we have, we have to go get wisdom. Well, the best place to go get wisdom is right here. God gave us the word of God that we have. And it, what I, what, what, when I read that, what I think is God's telling us, you should have your face buried in this thing every day. Every day. Don't just pray for God to reveal his word to you. He says, I did reveal it to you. Usually it's in a nice leather binding, and sometimes it has your name on the front. And it's got a bunch of pages right there, and you can get in it and get the wisdom that you need. Now, does God impart supernatural wisdom? Is there a gift of wisdom? Absolutely, without question. But what I want to talk to you about today is, is what, we're, what we're talking about in Proverbs, about getting wisdom, because in fact in proverbs 18 i think it is it actually goes as far as to say that those that do not want wisdom or don't pursue understanding are fools now i don't want to be a fool i don't know about you but i want to i want to be that person that's not just sitting there hoping that god gives me the wisdom i need and i'm just going to focus on james one where he says ask for wisdom it'll give it to you i'm just going to, I'm just going to keep asking you god till you give it to me I, I just need it i'm going to just keep on asking i want to be the guy that actually goes after it too You know, he'll give you wisdom in situations where you need it supernaturally, but he also says, I want you to go after it. And, and the thing about wisdom is that birthdays don't necessarily add wisdom to your life. Can I get an amen to that? I have, I have family that will remain unnamed. Well, you don't know them anyway, but I have some family that, that have had more birthdays than me that could really, really use some wisdom. Just getting older doesn't give you wisdom. Okay, it's it's important that we are proactive that we are aggressive that we are intentional about going out and getting wisdom Because it's it's what god has given us to help us get through these turbulent times in our life In fact, even jesus had to grow in wisdom Look in uh, luke uh, chapter 2 and verse 52 It says that even jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with god and men So wait a minute. You're telling me that jesus the god, god incarnate God even had to grow in wisdom when he became a human. That's interesting, you know, because sometimes you can think, well, Jesus, you know, he just, he just had the wisdom. He was God. But it, 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 and we're supposed to follow his model. So if Jesus grew in wisdom, then how much more should we have to grow in wisdom? And I love what it says there. It says that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. It's not a coincidence there that it talks about him growing in favor with men and God as he grew in wisdom. As we grow in wisdom, wisdom helps us to have favor with people, church. It helps us to have favor with people because you know what wisdom does? A lot of times it helps you just keep your mouth shut. Sometimes, you know, the Bible says that a fool is considered wise if he shuts up. That's the Bible. That's not me. I mean, I paraphrase and probably made it a little more coarse, but, but that's basically what it's saying. And so when we use wisdom in our life, it'll actually gain favor with people in our life and God. It says that Jesus grew in favor with God when he grew in wisdom. I want favor with God. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. I, I mean, that's all I want. Give me some favor with God. And so even Jesus had to grow in wisdom. And I think sometimes for us the, as Pentecostals, sometimes the danger for us can be to just, just ask God to impart it into us. You know, that, that's definitely a part of it. God imparts those things into us. Um, I've known lots of people that I feel, I believe, have the gift of wisdom. I feel like my wife has the gift of wisdom. You know, and that's a gift that God gives some. But not everybody has that gift. And so it's important that we make sure we're doing our due diligence, that we are showing ourselves to be approved, that we are going after this wisdom. The the Bible says to go after it, if it costs you everything, get wisdom. Amen. So some of the, some of the best little uh, tidbits of wisdom that I've ever read was, was out of a book called Micah. Now, I'm sure most of you have heard of the book. It's, it's a, considered a minor prophet. Um, it's nestled in there with all those short prophetic books in the Old Testament. Uh, it's called a minor prophet because the shorter prophetic books were called minor prophets and the big ones were called major prophets. Um, it doesn't mean they were any less important. It just means they were shorter books. Michael only has seven chapters. Um, and his contemporary, the, time, the person that was prophet, a prophet of Israel at the same time he was, is Isaiah. And Isaiah gets a lot, all the credit, you know, because he did, you know, he had 66 books. He wrote all these great prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. And we really love Isaiah. So Micah kind of gets uh, pushed to the side a little bit in some respects. But, but man, in this book, it, it's so good because this, the, he's actually um, announcing judgment on the children of Israel in his book. Because it's, it's when the children of Israel turned their back on God so many times. They kept going back to, to ridiculous gods made out of gold and wood and whatever and Micah, his, his prophecy here in the Bible is actually a judgment against him. And it's brought in the form of a lawsuit. Uh, it's really neat. You should, you should read it sometime. I mean, it's, it's, a, uh, it's an eye-opener in a lot of ways. And there's, there's a couple nuggets here that I really want to show you. And I'm going to spend the rest of my time really focusing on, on Micah. And I'm going to read from Micah 6, verses 2 to 8. It says, For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. Now let me stop right there. If the Lord himself is lodging a case against you and bringing a charge against you, that is a bad day. Amen. <laughs> I don't want God lodging a charge against me. There is no defense when God lodges a charge against you. And so he's being very serious here. He's saying, okay, guys, it's time to open up your eyes and look at this because God's about to bring a case against you. In verse 3, he says, my people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you and also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak king of Moab counseled and what Balaam son of Beor answered? Now, if you remember, or if you, if you know this story, that's when uh, Balak actually went to uh, Balaam and said, hey, I want you to curse Israel for me. Try to pay him to curse Israel. And God would not let Balaam curse Israel. This is the guy who was riding his donkey and the angel was in front of him, was going to kill him. And the donkey wouldn't go. But Balaam couldn't see the angel, that he had a sword in his hand, and he's, he's beating his donkey, saying, come on, go! And finally the donkey turns around and looks at him and says, listen, there's an angel out here that's going to kill you. Would you stop hitting me? You know, it's the, it's the only talking donkey in the Bible that I know of. But, uh, but it's interesting that God, that God references this actual story in this passage. Um, okay, so then it goes on. It says, remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. So that journey that he's talking about there, that was their time in the wilderness. That was the 40 years. And they went from Shittim and, and to Gilgal was right, right before they got into the promised land. So he's talking about how I was with you during those 40 years, okay? And then this is the response of the people, according to Micah, and it is dripping with sarcasm. These are, this is a group of people that are not repentant or humbled at all. It says, with what shall we come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offering, with calves a year old, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Now, this is a, the, the, they were just told that God is lodging a charge against them. And they're like, oh, what do you want, 10,000 rivers of oil? I, I mean, how brazen can you get? I mean, this sounds like a sassy teenager sassing off their parents when they confront them about something, you know? Uh, talk about stiff-necked and hard-hearted. Uh, This was the children of Israel's response to God's uh, rebuke to them. Okay, and then verse 8, which this is what I'm going to focus the rest of my message on today. This is a gem. It says, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Amen. Now, basically what's happening here is God's building the case. And you know, I don't. This isn't just a history lesson. I don't. I'm not just up here to tell you about a cool chapter in Micah. Um, this relates to us today, okay? What basically, and I'm not saying we're under the judgment of God. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying that we can take truth from this uh, based on the character of God. We see the character of God in this chapter, and what He's saying here is basically, okay, I delivered you guys out of Egypt. Okay, well, what does that mean for us today? That means that's our salvation. You know, the the Israelites were captive in, in Egypt, being slaves to the Egyptians, God delivered them and set them free. That was a, that's a parallel of the salvation that he brought for us. He set us free from the, from the curse of sin and death by bringing us out of Egypt. So God's saying to them and to you and me, Hey, I, I brought you salvation. Okay. And then, then the next thing he says, um, is that, uh, he protected them from those that wanted to harm them. the Balaam or Balak wanted to curse them. He wanted this guy to come and curse Israel and God wouldn't even let him do it. So God's saying, listen, I'm also your protector. I'm the one that, that watches over you, and I don't allow curses to come at you. I, I protect you with, with my strength and my power to where other people... The Israelites had nothing to do with Balaam not being able to curse them. This was God's protection on them, and he protects us. He watches over us. He is our protector. He is the one that keeps us safe. And then finally, he says uh, he helped them in all their trouble um, in, the, uh, in the wilderness. I'm sorry. Look, I lost it for a second there. The 40 years in the wilderness, he said he, he protected them. He provided for them in the wilderness. You know, he provided their food for them. He provided water from a rock. He did not abandon them. He didn't forsake them. He, he stayed with them during those 40 years. And that's what he does for us. So he's telling us, I saved you, I protect you, and I provide for you. So what am I asking of you? I'm asking you to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That, in those 14 words, Micah summed up, the desire of God, the heart of God for the whole human race. That's what he wants from us. Now, and you might think, oh, you're oversimplifying it. It's not really that simple. Actually, yes, it actually is. It really is that simple. You know, the gospel is simple. We're the ones that complicate the gospel. We're the ones that make it difficult. The gospel, in a nutshell, is basically man is bad. God is perfect. Man couldn't be good enough. So God came down, paid the debt that we could not pay, paid the price, canceled the debt that we could not pay back and made a way for us to be, to be with him. That's the gospel in a nutshell. It's really simple. You're not good enough. He's good enough for you and him. If you walk in, in his love and his, what he did for you, then you're with God. And it's the same way with what, what he asks of us to, how to, how to live out our life. It's saying here, basically, I just want you to, you can sum up this verse by saying basically two things, which is, uh, when Jesus was confronted and said, you know, what's the most important law? What's the most important rule? And he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what God's saying here. That's what he's saying here in Micah. I want you to love others and love me. That's it. That that's what that's God's mandate for each and every one of us. And if if you if you will pursue that and live your life in that way, then you will you will walk in the wisdom that God wants you to have. He will he will give you the wisdom. He'll help you to to live out the life that he has for you. And what I want to do is I want to go through these these three mandates that god gives us because you know this this situation that, that god explains to us or the mic is explaining it's it is simple but it's not easy if it was easy everybody would do it wouldn't they you know it's not easy to to prefer others over yourself you know to to uh to to prefer other people's needs before your own it's not easy to uh walk humbly with your god because that's not in our nature our nature is the to one to walk pridefully in ourself right and so we have to we have to understand what this means and what God wants from us. So I'm going to go through all three of these mandates that Micah gives us. And the first one is to act justly. Now, you would think that act justly is a cursory reading. You think, okay, well, that's me. That's probably most of us. You know, we, we're fair to people. We're nice. We, we uh, you know, we, we try to be nice to other people. Uh, you know, if my brother needs some money, I'll loan it to him. You know, uh, I, I always like... Uh, social media or social justice posts on Facebook and I'll share them. And, you know, I like justice. I, I, like, to, I like to be fair to people, but but let me just say that, that that's not all that this is saying. You know, with, with God, it's never really that simple. It's never that uh, shallow. There's always depth to the things that God says to us. It's, it's so much more than, than just about being nice to people. Um, in fact, I'm going to give you what Jesus said because Jesus went into a little more detail in the New Testament. And it's, it's often what we call the golden rule. I'm going to read the passage in Luke 6, verses 27 to 31. It says, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. That's real easy, right? Uh, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. That's even easier. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. And then verse 31 is the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This gets all up in my business <laughs> when Jesus tells us to do this. This is a verse, when you're reading through Luke and you get to Luke 6 and towards the end of Luke 6 and you read that, I, I bet you're like me and you kind of read through it quickly. I don't want to really study that because I don't really want to know what it means. I'm going to assume it's just allegory, you know, like, oh, he's just saying that, you know, but he's not. He's actually saying, I want you to love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, how nice would that be if in the political world, if politicians did good to those that hated them? Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And by the way, if someone hits you on the cheek, turn your other cheek to them also. This is something, the, this, this command from Jesus is, is somewhat forgotten almost even in the church. It's very, it's very difficult to live by these principles, isn't it? It's very difficult to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, if, if you do something wrong to someone, you, what you want them to do to you is to respond mercifully, not in kind. And it's difficult for us to, to live our life in that way. It makes acting justly a little more difficult. Um, if you look at 30, verse 31, it says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This means that we as believers, it, it, it's not okay as a Christian to just mind your own business. Okay. It's not this. This is about like living a lifestyle of saying, okay, what can I do to be a blessing to others? What can I do to show the love of Jesus to someone today? It's 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 got to be it's a proactive. It's not just sitting back like I'm just going to be nice to people and I'm just going to stay out of people's way. It's about actually affecting our society in a positive way for the glory of God, because that's what that's what he's called us to do. That's what he's put in us. We are called to treat others the way that we would want to be treated because what that does is it breaks down walls, it breaks down barriers, it breaks down hatred, it breaks down racism, it breaks down all the social injustices in the world. What it does when we give people love and mercy that don't really deserve it, it does something. It it doesn't make them always feel like they got away with something. What it does is it draws their heart to you. It's just like what Jesus did for us. You know, by Him, it says that while we were still sinners, Jesus came and died. Okay? And, And it's the love of God, it's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. And it's the same way with human beings. It's our kindness that will draw people to that. You know, if Jesus waited for us to apologize before he came to the cross, we'd still be living in the old covenant. He didn't wait, so we shouldn't be waiting. And by the way, this is great marital advice too. This is wonderful marriage advice. Do unto your spouse as you would have them do unto you. That, that, that'll preach all day long that'll save marriages, that'll restore marriages that'll make marriages great that'll do wonders in marriage if we, instead of trying to get leverage when things aren't going well if we will do to our spouse what we would have them do unto us it will change marriages it's, this, is, this is solid biblical marriage advice that will literally transform marriages, that was just a, that was a freebie there for you so we are designed to, to act justly And to love others, no matter what they do to us. Okay, so the next one is to love mercy. Now, let me just say, wisdom loves mercy because it knows that with the measure you extend it to others is the measure that it will be extended to you. See, Micah's not saying here just to be merciful. He's saying to love mercy. He's saying, don't just be merciful, like begrudgingly, like, all right, I'll, you know, I'll let you off the hook. It's saying to love it, like, look for opportunities to be merciful. You know, be excited when you get, have an opportunity to extend mercy to people. Because Jesus said very clearly, and we, you know, we, we can say the Lord's Prayer, we can recite it from memory, but I, it, it took me a long time to actually realize what I was even praying. And when I realized it, it was a little harder to pray it because there's that part in it that says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You can, we can blow right through that saying it and I realize what you said. You just said, okay, Lord, only forgive me, only extend mercy to me in as much as I extend mercy to others. So if we're not extending mercy to others, you're basically saying, God, don't give me any mercy either. And this isn't some made up prayer. This is Jesus said to pray this way. And it even goes on to say at the end of the word where he says, listen, because if you forgive others, their sins, your father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their sins, your father will not forgive you. This is another verse we blow through real quickly and hope that he doesn't really mean it, but he does because he's telling us I have been so merciful to you now I extend you I expect you to extend that same mercy to everyone in your life. You know we we just came off the counter yesterday and we always do a session on the importance of forgiveness and and how important it is to forgive because of the the standard that God has set for each and every one of us to be based on what he did for us. You know, when we we talk about the power of the cross and and uh and what what the cross meant and by Jesus going to the cross and the redemption that it bought for each and every one of us. But you know the 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 revelation that each one of us as believers needs to have is that it wasn't Roman soldiers that put him on a cross. It wasn't the Pharisees. It wasn't the Jews. It wasn't anybody else that put him on the cross. It was you. And it was me. We are the ones that put Jesus on that cross. And now if you've never had that revelation, you're going to look at me and say, you're crazy. That was 2000 years ago. I'm only 14 years old. But what I'm saying is it was our sin that put him on the cross. You know, when he died on the cross, the sins that were forgiven were done, and the sins that were going to be done have all been forgiven. So he took the sin of humanity, which includes me and you. If you're a human, then you are the one that put Jesus on that cross. And so, and we need to understand that 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 salvation that's brought to us. We can't get saved and think, "Well, I'm going to get saved because I want to go to heaven." But you know, I'm really not that bad of a person. I didn't really have anything to do with Jesus dying. Yes, you did. And until you have that revelation, you'll never fully understand what it means to be forgiven. It doesn't matter if you're not uh, Adolf Hitler or somebody or Mussolini or somebody else that's committed genocide. You don't have to be that. Just you being born into sin is all it took. Because when Adam sinned, the very first sin, it it brought sin into the whole race. Every single person that was born ever since then. And so with the the great price that was paid for you by Jesus to bring your redemption, Jesus says, there's no way that I'm going to overlook you not forgiving others what they've done to you. Because no matter what others have done to you, they haven't done near as much as what you did to me by putting me on that cross. And so it's, it's imperative for each and every one of us to make sure that we are extending mercy and that we love mercy. Someone that's been forgiven and understands they've been forgiven, it's easy to love mercy. You know, Jesus said in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That's powerful. That's powerful. Blessed are the merciful. That makes me want to be merciful, even if I don't have that revelation, because I want mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Do any of you feel like sometimes you just, with certain people, maybe in your family or, you know, somebody in the public light, that you just kind of want God to get them? If you're being honest, you don't really know that you even want them to like, you know, get saved. You just want God to get them. We're in church, it's okay, you can be honest. If you can't be honest here, you can't be honest anywhere, right? I think we've all felt that way, but I want to tell you today that that it could not be more contrary to the heart of God, okay? I'm not trying to condemn anybody, i felt that way. But that is absolutely in complete contradiction to the heart of God. God's heart is that none should perish. None. Not Not Hitler, not Osama Bin Laden, not... Saddam Hussein none of them and when we when we focus our anger on those people and when something happens like you know Bin Laden gets killed and you're rejoicing thinking it's great We should be grieving over the fact that this guy's standing before God He's standing before God, you know the Bible tells us that our battle's not against flesh and blood It's against the powers and the principalities It's it's satan working through those people is what's causing those things to happen If you're going to have anger have it towards satan because that person has a soul that's going to be in torment forever and our heart should always be that if God extends mercy, that that's a good thing. You know, he tells a parable about the, those that, um, uh, the, 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 workers that came to work for the, the farmer and the ones that came at the end got just as much pay as the ones that came at the beginning and worked the whole day. And the ones that came at the beginning of the day were upset. They said, why'd you pay these guys the same thing as you paid us? And the farmer said, are you upset because I'm being generous? And I think that's what God would say to some of us sometimes. Are you guys upset when I'm generous? When I'm looking for ways to be merciful to people, that should never be our heart. We should always be hoping and praying for God to show his mercy to people. And that he would extend that because that mercy will draw them to him as well. Okay, the next one is to walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. And to me, this is the number one principle that we as, as believers need to try to live by. Because pride is everywhere. Pride is celebrated in our society. The, the most celebrated athletes nowadays, it seems like they're the ones that are the most arrogant. And I don't know about you, but it kind of gets up under my craw sometimes. You know, I'm always looking for that humble athlete that I can get behind. But there's, there's just so much pride. And in politics, in our in our leadership in this country, the pride is, is just off the chart. I mean, no one will ever admit that they're wrong. Could you imagine any politician just getting on TV and being interviewed on one of the news stations and saying, you know, I really screwed up. I'm, I really made a mistake. I should not have done that. I'm really sorry about that. I would fall over dead if that happened. I mean, they're trained, you know, never admit fault. Spin it. Spin. Be, you know, somebody coined the term spin doctors, I think back in the 80s. Like, just spin everything to work into your favor. No, there's no such thing as humility sometimes in our society. And, and frankly, sometimes it works its way into the church too. You know, we are called. It is so simple. We are called by God to to live in humility. And you know, humility isn't just. Um, it's not just not being arrogant and proud. There's also a false humility that comes from seeing yourself as less than God sees you. That's right. You know, if you're always talking down about yourself, thinking you're worthless, or you know, you're nobody, and and you're you're just always going to be rejected, and nobody likes you, and you're you're good for nothing, and and there's nothing good about you, that's pride too. According to the scripture, that's pride too. And it's just as dangerous as having the the uppity arrogance thinking you're better than everybody pride. Because what true humility is, the only way to truly be a person of humility is in the eyes of God or or in 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 the hands of God. Because the only way to have true humility is to see yourself as God sees you. Is to know who you are in Christ. That's the only way to walk in true humility. Because people who know who they are don't have to try to be somebody else. And God wants you to be you. He wants you to know who you are. He wants you to know kind of, he wants you to know what you deserve. Because we all deserve judgment and punishment. He wants you to know that. But he also wants you to know that what he did for you on the cross, that was for you. And you're worth it. And you're a child of the king. You're one of his, you're one of his own. You're his favorite kid. You know, I said the first service, if he had a wallet, you have your picture in it. But we don't do that anymore. So he's, you're, you're the picture on his phone screensaver. That's who you are. You are beloved. You're, you're loved by God in a way that you can never even imagine. And nothing can separate you from that love. You know, the Apostle John in his gospel, he talks about how he was the beloved. You know, we hear him use that term, the beloved uh, basically he's bragging, like I was the I was so loved by Jesus. And you know, sometimes you can read that and almost think, man, that was he's kind of arrogant, you know, thinking how much Jesus loved him. But that wasn't arrogance at all. That was humility. That was saying that he had a revelation of, Oh my goodness, this guy really does love me that much. And it's funny because he's the only one that said that. He's also the only one that stuck around when Jesus got crucified. Because he had such an incredible revelation of God's love for him. And that's how he wants us to see ourselves. That's what true humility is. It's not thinking more of yourself than you should, but it's also not thinking less of yourself. It's knowing exactly who we are in Christ. And the thing is, we have to understand that humility does not come naturally in our life. There's nobody that's naturally humble. Okay, and I'll tell you why. Because it goes directly against what our nature is. Our nature is to want to be about ourselves. Our nature is to want to puff ourselves up, exalt ourselves, get ourselves in the right position, leverage ourselves. That's our nature. That's how. That's that's what sin coming into the world did to each and every one of us. And so we have to be aggressive. We have to be uh, very intentional to make sure we're walking in humility. Because this is the thing, church the devil also knows that it's not in your nature to be humble. And he also knows the rules when it comes to the scripture. You know, Satan knows this Bible probably better than you and me. He quoted scripture when he was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Remember that? He knows the scriptures. He's been around a lot longer than you and I have, and he knows it. It says that, it even says that, you know, the demons know Jesus and they shudder. So they know about him. They know the scripture. Well, there's a very specific verse in James 4, um, in chap- uh, chapter 4, verse 7, I think it is. It says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Very scary first half of that verse, isn't it? To think that this is New Testament too. To think that God opposes us when we're walking in pride. Okay, well, let's, let's look at that then. So if, if the Bible says that God opposes the proud, you know who else knows that? Satan. Satan. If he knows that he knows the rules, he's like he sees that and he goes, wait a minute, God p- opposes the proud. Okay, all right, guys, new, new, uh, new narrative here. We're going to try to get as many people as we can to walk in pride. We're going to try to get them to deny humility and walk in pride. And, and, and either, you know, whatever you got to do, demons, if you got to make them think more of themselves than they should or less of themselves, whatever you got to do, whatever their lean is, whatever their propensity is. You know, for, uh, we all have a lean. Some of us think we are better than we should, and some of us think less than we should of ourselves. But the Satan doesn't care which one it is as long as it's one or the other. Because if it's in the middle, he knows the second part of that verse is, is pretty detrimental to him. It says that he gives grace to the humble. If God's giving his grace, that's, that grace is a power to live for him. That's something Satan doesn't want. So Satan's going to do everything he can to make sure that you are walking in that pride. So God opposes you. It's almost like God steps back a little bit and the enemy's got a little more rain in your life. And maybe some of you have noticed that in your own life. You feel, like, you feel like God's almost pulled back in some respects to where you feel like uh, your prayers are, are, are hitting the ceiling and not being answered, or you, you just can't feel like you can get anywhere in your relationship with him. And maybe it's because of some pride in your life. Now, now there's, God is graceful and gracious to each and every one of us, okay? He's not looking to pull away from us. That's, that's not what he wants. The only, way God, the only reason God will ever pull away from us is so that we can understand our need for him, so we can submit ourselves to him and surrender to him, so he can come back in. And do what we need done in our life. So we have to be very careful to make sure we walk in humility. And here's something else. Humble people are very hard to offend. Somebody that's, that's got a good understanding of who they are in Jesus is very difficult to offend. That's something to really think about. If you're easily offended, you may want to look at that and think about, okay, where am I at? How do I see myself? Do I see myself as the Lord sees me? Do I see myself as his child? Do I know who I am in Christ? Do I know what he did for me? And have I received uh, that that revelation of his forgiveness to me and that that I am in him and that without him, I'm nothing. You know, if you're walking in humility and you know who you are in Jesus, that also means you know that apart from him, you're nothing. It means apart from him, there's nothing good in you. And so if you're in him and people are throwing insults at you or trying to offend you, it kind of bounces off you because you're like, I can actually agree with you. Yes, you're right. Without Jesus, I am all those things. But guess what? <laughs> I have Jesus. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I don't have to live like that. I don't have to live in those things. So when we're walking in humility, we're, we're not nearly as easy to offend. Humility is a matter of the heart okay it's it's not as much about our actions as it is about our heart and i want to i want to kind of close by, with this story um about king saul he was the first king of israel you know up until this time the the israelites had just had judges that would kind of run the country and after samuel was the last judge and after samuel they said listen we want a king all the other countries have a king we want a king and samuel inquired of god and god said yeah go ahead and give him a king he said they're not rejecting you samuel they're rejecting me if that's what they want go ahead and give it to him and so god gave him a king and saul was the first king and uh, Saul actually, you know, he started off okay. He tried, he wanted to be a good king, um, but it didn't take long to reveal his heart that he didn't have a true heart of humility. There was a lot of pride in him. And there's a, a story early on in his, in his kingship in uh, chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, where God told Samuel to tell Saul to, hey, go in and annihilate the Amalekites. He said, God said, I'm judging the Amalekites because of what they did to you guys and you're coming up out of the wilderness. And so Samuel told Saul, he said, hey, listen, annihilate him. He said, don't leave a man, woman, boy, girl, or animal living. Everything needs to be gone, completely eradicated from the earth. So Saul musters up the army, goes in, destroys the Amalekites, wins the battle easily. But instead of doing everything that, that Samuel told him, he actually spared the king. They, they took the king with them as a prisoner, King Agag. And they also, he also spared the best of the livestock, the, the, the spotless sheep and, and cattle, the really good livestock. He actually kept them and brought them back with him into the camp. And after it was all said and done, Samuel comes into the camp. And as he's coming into the camp, he hears the sheep and he hears the cows mooing. And he walks up to Saul and he says, what have you done? And Saul said, oh, Samuel, I'm glad to see you. Hey, we did exactly what you told us. We went in and we annihilated those Amalekites. And, and Samuel says, Really? You did? Then what is that what is the mooing that I hear? What is the the bleeding of the sheep that I hear? And Saul goes, Oh, well, uh, well, you know, we, we kept some of them because we wanted to offer sacrifices to God. And you can almost see him like making it up as he goes. And uh, and Samuel says, Saul, your heart has been exposed because of what you did here, and the kingdom is going to be taken from you. And Saul, you know, then Saul's like, Oh, I'm so sorry, please forgive me and Samuel said, It's too late. Because your heart has been exposed. You're not walking in humility. He wanted to do things the way he wanted to do it. He wanted to serve God the way he wanted to serve God. How many times are we guilty of that? Wanting to serve him our own way. Like, oh, God, I don't really... What Jesus said back there in, in, uh, I think, Luke, you know, about turning the other cheek and loving my enemies and blessing those who curse me. I don't really want to do it that way. Can I just do the other stuff and kind of leave that? You know, I'd rather do the easy part and leave the hard part. And that's kind of what Saul did. He was like, I don't... Why would I kill all these perfectly good, all this perfectly good livestock? We can use this. It didn't make sense in his head, so Saul said, I'm not doing it. That's pride. That was a pride. It was thinking that he knew more than God knew. And we can look at Saul and laugh and think, you you're ridiculous. Why did you do that? It was really simple, you know, but we do it all the time. There's all, we do it all the time. There's things we think it's, you know, I I don't really want to turn my cheek. When someone insults me like that with a backhanded comment, I I just don't think I can turn the other cheek. I'm going to, I'm going to give it back to them. And uh, we just kind of ignore the things that we want to ignore. And that's what Saul did. And the the crazy thing is, most of you know this, that the king after Saul was David. Samuel said, you know, I'm I'm going to anoint another king. And this is somebody that has a heart after God's heart. He said in the Bible many times, he was a man after God's heart. And the crazy thing about it is, in human standards, David's sins were way worse than Saul's. Wasn't even close. David impregnated a woman whose husband was away at war, and then he felt bad about it, or he realized what happened. So he made sure that her husband was killed in the front lines of the battle. So he basically committed adultery and murdered a man. And yet he was a man after God's heart. Now, how does that make sense? Because of the outward... He did worse stuff than Saul. Saul just didn't kill some sheep and cattle. What's the big deal with that? But it was because his heart was exposed. His heart was exposed. And, and when, when Nathan confronted David and said, David, you are the one that did the wrong. And he confronted him. You know what David did? He repented immediately. Right. He repented and turned from his ways. When Samuel confronted Saul, Saul said, Uh uh, well, I was just, I got some sheep, you know, because I was gonna use them for sacrifice. And and you know. There's, it doesn't say in the Bible why he spared the king but most of the, most of the commentary that I have read says he probably spared him because it was, it was a thing to do that way if someone ever overthrew Israel and captured their king, Saul that they would spare him too. So he was doing that even for his own personal gain when God was very clear that he was supposed to wipe them all out. But our heart is exposed in situations like that. We 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 find out whether we're humble, whether we uh, whether our heart is really after God or not, and that's what He wants from us. He wants our heart. He wants all of it. Pride seeks to control our situation, and humility seeks to surrender to God's plan. Pride controls. Humility surrenders. That's the difference between those two. And that can that that's in relationships, finances, career, all of it. If we're if we have if we're walking in pride, we're looking to control. If we're walking in humility, we're looking to surrender to our God. Pride leads to self-deception. Humility leads to self-awareness. Saul was so deceived by his pride, he didn't even it didn't even it was almost like it didn't even occur to him that Samuel could hear the cows moving. And what what he was blind to was incredibly obvious to Samuel. Samuel was barely in the camp. And he heard it, and he just shook his head and said, oh, my goodness. And Saul comes up to him, hey, we did everything God said to do. There was a blind spot because of the pride that was in Saul's life. And then the last one is that pride causes God to oppose you, but humility activates God's grace. That's so powerful. That's back to James 4, 6. God opposes the pride but gives grace to the humble. The humility in our life, the understanding of who we are in Jesus, it actually activates the grace of God in our life to empower us to live for him and to walk in that humility. That's a powerful thing. A powerful, powerful thing. So, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as as I close. We're going to pray in a minute. Let me just make one more statement about that, about walking humbly with your God. What Micah said there, he said, walk humbly with your God. He didn't say walk humbly with the God or a God or Israel's God. He said to walk humbly with your God. That is personal for each and every one of us. He's not some big God of the cosmos that's distant and doesn't know us. He is your God and he's my God. And he loves us intimately and wants to have that relationship with us. Not to just be the person that saves us, gives us fire insurance from having to go to hell. But to be the God that's intimate and personal in each one of our lives. That, that lives through us and gives us the grace to empower us to live for him. And I want to encourage you in that today. That you would, that you would walk humbly with your God. That he would be more than just a God on Sunday mornings to you but he would be God of, of your life 24, 7, Amen? So I'm going to pray for us and um, what we're going to do is uh, I'll just, I'm going to pray over all of us because I think that we can all receive from from this. Uh, but I'm going to ask the prayer leaders to come and just, they're, they're just going to have them stand over here on the sides and then as after we dismiss, they'll stay up here for a little bit and if anybody wants prayer, feel free to come up and they'll, they'll pray for you or if you want to come to the altar at that point, feel free to come up and pray. We're not going to uh, just because we're going to dismiss the crowd, you still pray. We'll, we'll respect you uh, being up here praying if you want to just get before the Lord on your own. But I want to pray for each and every one of us. I'm just going to ask you to receive in your heart uh, the word of God in your life today. So if you guys would pray with me. Father God, I thank you today. I thank you for your presence in this place, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you paid the ultimate price for each and every one of us, that we could know you, that we could walk in your ways, that we could love you. We thank you, Lord, that you give grace to each and every one of us. Thank you that the grace bill was paid 2,000 years ago and that you impart that into our lives, God. I pray for each person here today, Lord, that this word would be revelation to each one of us. That it would be revealed in a powerful way, that it wouldn't just be a history lesson, but that it would do work in each one of our hearts. God, I pray that you would help us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you in the way that you would have us do that, God. In response to what you've done for us, Lord, we can do nothing but give ourselves to you, to surrender our lives to you so that you would be glorified. This is all for you, Jesus. It's all about you. Let our lives glorify you. Whether it's in this building or at our jobs or in our homes, let our lives glorify you. Let your, your banner be lifted high above each and every one of us, God. Thank you for your love in our lives today, Lord. We bless you. I pray that you would seal this work in our hearts today, Lord. And as the enemy would come and try to distract us, cause us to walk in pride or to walk in judgment or to not have love for others, God, I pray that you would help us to stand against that. Help us to, to get wisdom, to go after wisdom, to be intentional, And to not let any cost slow us down from going after the wisdom that you want us to have and walk in, God. We thank you for it, and we bless you today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, Amen.